Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens Read by Amalet Asimov Chapter 1 Among other public buildings in a certain town, which for many reasons will be prudent to refrain from mentioning, and to which I will assign no fictitious name, there is one accidentally common to most towns, great or small, to wit, a workhouse, and in this workhouse was born, on a day and date which I need not trouble myself to repeat, inasmuch as it can be of no possible consequence to the reader, in this stage of the business at all events, the item of mortality, whose name is prefixed to the head of this chapter. For a long time after it was ushered into this world of sorrow and trouble by the parish surgeon, it remained a matter of considerable doubt whether the child would survive to bear any name at all, in which case it is somewhat more than probable that these memories would never have appeared, or if they did, that being comprised within a couple of pages, they would have possessed the inestimable merit of being the most concise and faithful specimen of biography extant in the literature of any age or country although I am not disposed to maintain that the being born in a workhouse is in itself the most fortunate and enviable circumstance that can possibly befall a human being. I do not mean to say that in this particular instance it was the best thing of Oliver Twist that could possibly have occurred. The fact is that there was considerable difficulty in introducing Oliver to take upon himself the office of respiration, a troublesome practice, but one which custom had rendered necessary to our easy existence, and for some time he lay gasping on a little flock mattress, rather unequally between this world and the next, the balance being decidedly in favor of the latter. Now, if, during this brief period, Oliver had been surrounded by careful grandmothers, anxious aunts, experienced nurses and doctors of profound wisdom, he would most inevitably and indubitably been killed in no time, there being nobody by, however, but a pauper old woman who was rendered rather misty by an unwanted allowance of beer, and the parish surgeon forbids such matters by contract, Oliver and nature fought out the point between them. The result was that, after a few struggles, Oliver breathed 
sneezed and proceeded to advertise to the inmates of the workhouse the fact of a new burden having been imposed upon the parish. By setting up as loud a cry as could reasonably have been expected from a male infant who had not been possessed of that very useful appendage, a voice for a much longer space of time than three minutes and a quarter. As Oliver gave his first proof of the free and prompt reactions of his lungs, the patchwork coverlet, which was carelessly flung over the iron bedstead, rustled. The pale face of the young woman was raised feebly on the pillow faint voice and perfectly articulated words, let me see the child and die. The surgeon had been sitting with his face turned towards the fire, giving the palms of his hands a warm and rub alternately. As the young woman spoke, he rose, and advancing to the bed's head, said, with more kindness than might have been expected of him, Oh, you must not talk about dying yet. Lord bless her dear heart, no, interposed the nurse, hastily depositing in her pocket a green glass bottle, the contents of which she had been tasting in a corner with evident satisfaction. Lord bless her dear heart, when she has lived as long as I have, sir, had thirteen children of her own, and all of them dead except two, and them in the workers with me. She'll know better than to take on in that way, bless her dear heart. Think what it is to be a mother. There's a dear young lamb, too. Apparently, this consolatory perspective for mother's prospects failed in producing its due effect. The patient shook her head and stretched out her hands towards the child. The surgeon deposited it in her hands. She imprinted her cold white lips passionately on its forehead passed her hands over her face, gazed wildly round, shuddered, fell back, and died, and chafed her breasts, hands, and temples, but the blood had stopped forever. They talked of hope and comfort. They had been strangers too long. It's all over. Mrs. Thingam, said the surgeon at last. Ah, oh, poor dear, so it is, said the nurse, picking up the cork of the green bottle, which had fallen out on the pillow as she stooped to take up the child. Poor dear. You needn't mind sending up to me if the child cries, nurse, said the surgeon putting on his gloves with a great deliberation. 
it's very likely it will be troublesome. Give it up, little gruel, if it is. He put on his hat and, pausing by the bedside, on his way to the door, added, She was a good-looking girl, too. Where did she come from? She was brought here last night, replied the old woman, by the overseer's orders. She was found lying in the street. She had walked some distance. Her shoes were worn to pieces. But where she came from, or where she was going, nobody knows. The surgeon leaned over the body and raised the left hand. The old story, he said, shaking his head. No wedding ring. I see. Ah, good night. The medical gentleman walked away to dinner, and the nurse, having once more applied herself to the green bottle, sat down on a low chair before the fire and proceeded to dress the infant. What an excellent example of the power of dress young Oliver Twist was. Wrapped in a blanket which had in thirto formed his only covering, he might have been the child of a nobleman or a beggar. It would have been hard for the haughtiest stranger to have assigned him his proper station in society. But now that he was enveloped in the old calico robes, which had grown yellow in the same service, he was badged and ticketed and fell into his place at once. A parish child, the orphan of a workhouse, the humble, half-starved Druk, to be cuffed and buffeted through the world, despised by all and pitied by none. Oliver cried lustily. If he could have known that he was an orphan, left to the tender mercies of the church,